0: Good morning. Well we're in the second week of this series called What Keeps You Up at Night and as I've been putting these messages together I've been a little more aware of some of the things that have kept me up. So this last week here's a couple of things that kept me awake. Uh, caffeine at 9 p.m. was not a good idea. Uh, long around 40 something you got to stop doing that or you're going to be awakened at night. Uh, just a noise outside woke me up and for me When I wake up, I'm up. Is anybody else like that? Like the moment you wake up, your mind's like, okay, let's go. And it kicks in drive. Am I the only one that happens to? I mean, there's got to be more normal people in the room besides me. So that's what happens. I wake up and I'm up and, and that's what's kept me up this week. But we're doing this series that's not necessarily about the things that literally keep you awake, but maybe they do, but. We're talking about things that are heavy in life. Things that seem overwhelming at times. Things that make us feel like we're carrying emotional weight that we shouldn't have to carry. And so a few weeks ago, we said, we put a poll out on Facebook and said, tell us what keeps you up at night. And that determined the direction that we took this series. And so today I'm talking about one of the things that you said keeps you up at night. And that is loneliness. There's a a magician, illusionist stuntman named David Blaine. You've probably heard of him. He's done some pretty crazy things. I think I've got a lot of nerve. This guy's got a lot of nerve. He was buried alive in a coffin for a week. He froze himself in a block of ice for three days. I mean, what happened to that guy as a kid to want to do this stuff? I don't understand. He stood on top of a 100-foot pillar for 36 hours. He lived in a glass box for 44 days with just water. And on national TV, he held his breath underwater for 17 minutes. And in an interview, the reporter kept asking him, well, a guy like you has to be afraid of something. What are you afraid of? And he struggled around for a few minutes to, to articulate, well, here's what scares me, here's what I'm afraid of, and this is what he said. Okay, I would actually say I'm afraid of sleeping in a big house and being alone. So this guy that that does these crazy things that would put fear in the hearts of any normal person says, well, what I'm really afraid of is sleeping in a big house alone. And loneliness can grip anybody, any place with any amount of people around them. Now, some of you, you may have the reality of loneliness in your life. Maybe you're single and you wish you weren't. You're single and when you go to bed at night, you're praying, God, I wish I had someone to share my life with. And it's just the reality that right now in your life, you are physically alone. Then there's another kind of loneliness And that's the kind of loneliness that you might feel in a room this size with all these people. And no matter how many people you're around, you still have this nagging feeling of loneliness on the inside. So whether it's in reality in your life, physically because you're lonely, or because you feel it, it's the same thing. It's still loneliness. Modern psychology gives us some answers that can be helpful with loneliness. Uh, The top ones are behavioral therapy, that can be very helpful. Relaxation techniques, very helpful. Medication, that can be helpful in certain circumstances. And pet therapy, you know, play with puppies. Somebody just today talked about, uh, between services, they didn't even know I was talking about this, uh, about someone that was doing a little pet therapy to help them through a difficult time. But the lack, the, the truth is that those might help, but they're not going to get to the core need that we all have. They're not going to get to what we ultimately need. See, it's the lack of relationships, the quality of relationships that can cause loneliness in our life. And what we can, what we find when we look at God's word is that we were designed for Relationships. God starts talking about loneliness really early in the Bible. There's some Bible coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. You can have it. It's yours to keep. You can also follow along on the screen. We're going to look at the first section of Scripture, the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, the whole creation account. And in the creation account, we can start to see God consider this idea of loneliness after all the creations done because when he's creating he, he there's this phrase that comes up over and over again and when it comes on the screen it's going to be in italics and when i get to that part i want you to read it with me so here we go genesis chapter 1 I'm going to start at verse 3 then god said let there be light and there was light and god saw the light was good god called the dry ground land and the waters seas And God saw that it was good. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. So the picture is God is creating, and then he steps back and says, really good job, And he creates something else and says, good job, me. I'm doing a great job. And he's he's commenting on himself. I'm creating this. That's good. I'm creating this. That's good. And then in Genesis chapter two, we get to the first negative talk about what God has created. And here's what it says. This is after he created Adam. He said this, it is not good for man to be alone. Creating Adam was good. Creating all that other stuff was good. But then he looked at Adam because he had breathed the breath of life into Adam. In his image, he had breathed that into Adam. And he said, that's not good that he is alone. It's not good that he's by himself. Now, this message is not about marriage necessarily. But it's about this core need that God recognized in us from the very beginning and that is the need not to be alone. From the very beginning, we were designed for relationships. And you might think, well, I just need God. But God says, no, yeah, yeah, you need me, but you also need others. Adam was alone and God said, that's just not good. And so we're gonna look at what, uh, one of the wisest men who ever lived, God called him the wisest man at the time who ever lived. King Solomon had to say about relationships. King Solomon gave us a bunch of writings in the Old Testament. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he gives us a lot of sayings about life and relationships and money, a lot of different topics. But in Ecclesiastes chapter four, he has this to say about relationships. Two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. No matter how independent you are, if you say, I just do life alone with my cats, you know, that's all I need. I'm just, I'm alone and I don't need anybody else in my life. Well, that's not what God says. God says that we're better off when we have someone to help us, and when we have no one to help us, we're going to be in trouble. Loneliness can be devastating. Loneliness can lead to emotional problems, physical problems. Loneliness can lead to suicidal thoughts. Not too long ago, I read this article about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and, and how many people, it's staggering how many people jump off that bridge to their deaths every year. And in the article, one of the coroners in San Francisco was interviewed about different cases because like 95% of the time people die, but sometimes they live. And he was, he was being interviewed about different cases and they said, has one stuck out? And he said, yeah, there was this one where we recovered the body and we're at the morgue, go through his ID, we find out where he lived. With the police, we go to his apartment and we go in and there's a note on the table that read, I'm going to walk to the bridge today. If just one person smiles at me, I won't jump. And he jumped. So loneliness can be such a weight on us that it can cause us to do tragic things. So the question I'm asking all of you today, do you have a place to go when you're in trouble? Do you have a place to turn when life's getting really heavy on you? When you feel like you're all alone and nobody understands Do you have a place to go? Because God says if you don't, that's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. In the very next verse, King Solomon says, Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can only one be warm alone? Now, this is not a green light to go sleep with people. So the preacher said it. It's in the Bible. It said... I don't have to sleep alone. I can go lay down with somebody. It's great. That's not what he's talking about. That's a metaphor, okay? We all go through difficult times. And what he's trying to communicate is when you don't go through it alone, it's easier. And maybe literally, you can't be warm alone, so you can be warm with somebody else with you. He's saying, don't go through life alone because when you go through those times of doubt or confusion or pain or failure or disappointment, when you're not alone, the weight is lifted. The edge is taken off and others help us walk through it. There's a lot of danger in being out there alone. He says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer." Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is where the saying comes from, hey, I got your back. I've got your back. Where I grew up, I had a couple of buddies that we hung out all the time, and we got in trouble quite a bit. And there was a need to not tell the truth to keep ourselves from getting in more trouble quite a bit. And so the three of us would get together, and we would... Get the story together, and I would say, you got the story, you got the story, I got the story. That's the story we're telling, nobody crack. You got it? Let's stick together, solidarity here. We're 11 years old, and we can do this. Don't tell your parents the truth. And we would, we would tell these outlandish lies, and sometimes our parents would believe us. But every now and then, somebody would crack. Somebody's parent would get to them, or they would have some facts that we didn't anticipate them having, and somebody would crack and tell the truth, and then the whole thing, the whole thing fell apart. But when the three of us stuck together, stuck together, it did not matter what anybody said. We were going to stick together and protect each other, no matter what. That's what Solomon's getting at, when you stick together. So much for the good and actually for the bad, but it's not easy to break three things apart. He talks about a rope and three strands. It's not easy to pull that apart. And he's trying to tell us you are vulnerable when you are alone, but when you're not alone, you're stronger. You've probably seen on National Geographic how a lion will stalk a herd. A lion doesn't run into the middle of a herd of water buffalo and say, I'm here for dinner, because they'd kill him. What a lion does, he steps back, and they prowl around the corners, and they wait for the weak ones to get off on their own. They wait for one to get off away from the protection of the herd, off by itself, and then the lion attacks, and he wins almost every single time when that one water buffalo leaves the protection of the herd, it's vulnerable because it's out there by itself. And the same is true in our life. If you're trying to go through life alone, and you've chosen for whatever reason not to be in relationships deep enough with others that you can share difficulties with, you are vulnerable. In fact, here's how the New Testament talks about it. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And more often than not, he's looking for someone out there all alone. For a guy that says, unless one person smiles, I'm gonna jump. What if that guy would have had a friend, someone close to him, what if he would have been involved in such a way in a group of people that, that helped take the edge off of his loneliness? You'll accomplish more and you'll be stronger with relationships in your life. And, and here's our way that, that we say it. because. What we want to do is to create not just this environment, but we have other environments that we try to create. I know some of you, this is the only way you experience Life Point Church, is you're sitting right here. Maybe it's the only way you experience church, and it's the only time when you reach out to God in any way, is when you're sitting right here. So what we've been doing over the last several months is really strategizing, how can we not just fill this room over and over and in all of our locations over and over? How can we not just do that, but how can we move people from being in a row to being in a circle? So you'll hear us say, we want to move people from from rows to circles. And there's a big difference in circles and rows. Circles are better. I mean, in here is great, it, it can be inspiring, that's why we meet, you can learn something, you can say hello to a person that you haven't seen in a while, but this is not enough. This is not enough. Just sitting here, that's, it's just not enough, because when you just sit here, you might be inspired, you might love the music, you might enjoy the message, you might laugh a little, enjoy what's on the screen, but there's things that you'll miss if this is all you ever do is sit in a row. Rows aren't even set up for relationships. Rows are set up for you to look forward, and that's it, and to take things in and observe. Rows aren't designed for participation. If if your only spiritual experience, if your only experience with God is sitting in a row, and something bad happens in your life, what are you gonna do? If something bad happens, a tragedy in your life, What's, what are you going to do? Just today, after our first service, a person came up to talk to me that is filled with anxiety. Filled with anxiety. And the first thing I suggested I know some other people that you can get with that have dealt with the same thing you're dealing with. But if that person just sat in a row and never took a step beyond that, they're not going to be involved with people that can help them get through. What they're going through. The first question I ask when somebody comes up to me or calls or I find out that there's been a tragedy or a death or a divorce or bankruptcy or something to celebrate even, a birth or a wedding. And when we find that stuff out about people in our church, the first question we always say is, well, who are they connected to? Who are they around? What group are they in? What team do they serve on? So we immediately realize if they're not connected, then our ability to help is greatly diminished if they're not connected. I mean, we can help some. I can help some, but I only have so much time. Our other pastor here, Rob, he only has so much time. So we can't help with all the few thousand people that are connected to our church. But when we say, are they connected in a group? Meaning they've moved from being just a person that just sits in a row to being a person that's in a circle. In a circle, things are a lot different. When you're in a circle, well, you have relationships with other people. You have times when you're able to talk to other people and it's much better than just sitting here. And what we want here to do for you is to inspire you enough to get off of the row and into a circle. And circles are just better anyway. Anytime I'm going to lunch with a group, and I know we're going to have a discussion, I always say, find us a restaurant that's got round tables. Don't you, Isn't it uncomfortable when there's like eight people and you're sitting in, row, in a row staring at the other person across from you? You can't talk to the person down there, over there. Your neck hurts. It's weird to eat. It's just circles are better. And when it comes to relationships... God designed us to live in the context of circles. Let sitting in the rows inspire you, but don't let it satisfy you. Don't ever be satisfied with just sitting here on Sunday. And when somebody starts to talk to me about not being satisfied, I'm thinking, great. They're at the point where they can move out of just sitting in a row and start to move to a circle where they can really have the support that they need and build the relationships that they are designed to live with. Circles are better than rows. And so here's what we're asking you to do today. We're asking you to give a group a try, to try out a group. That's simple. There's several different groups, three different ways you can get in groups, a lot of different groups you can get involved with. I'm going to tell you exactly what those are, and you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And we're asking you to try it out for eight weeks, eight weeks. Now, the reality is, nobody in this room, of course, but I've been in a group that that had weird people in it, (laughs) that the first meeting, I was like, we are not going to click. I can tell that right now. I don't like the things you like. Um, it's just a weird feeling sitting here with you for an hour or you, you're this group of people. And I moved on to another group and maybe that's what you need to do, but just maybe you give an eight week test run to a group and you find a group of people that you can start to do life with, that you can start to talk about the things that really matter and that you can start to deal with the loneliness that we all tend to feel inside It can happen. And if the first eight weeks doesn't do it for you, get in another group the next eight weeks till you can find some people that you can really connect with relationally that will help make you better in ways you could never be on your own. I want want you to see a story of some guys that committed to a group and how they got there. Take a look.
1: My name is Brad, I've been going to LifePoint for about 10 years now, almost since the beginning. I've been involved with small groups in one way or the other uh, pretty much the the entire time I've been going to church here. And The reason that uh, we got involved in small groups was initially to to meet people in church. and It's a very good way to, to meet people that are part of your smaller community. This latest group was formed when we decided to launch the new site in uh, Wake Forest and uh, I saw there was a group meeting Wake Forest on the the Find My Group website and uh, I contacted the leader of that group and uh, he said, sure, you can come, you're invited. We went to church one Sunday and uh, ran into somebody that I know outside of church and uh, I was shocked to see him there at church, I mean I was I was glad he was there, but I was surprised. And uh, I went up to him and uh, I I don't know if he was more excited to see me or or the opposite. Um, But uh, immediately we struck up a conversation. I'm like, hey, you know, we have a men's group. We meet every Tuesday. Uh, I'd love to see see you there. And uh, honestly, I didn't think he was gonna come. At the time Brad asked me,
2: I thought I would go. But then I started second-guessing myself a little bit, and um, I know Brad. Um, We have daughters the same age. We've been involved in other programs outside of LifePoint to where I trusted Brad. And uh, what can it hurt just to show up? I think my major concern was uh, the fear of having to open up in front of strangers. That was was a big concern of mine uh, because I wasn't ready to open up. I think what changed for me is seeing uh, this group of guys, and none of which are biblical scholars, they're all just like me. We all have different walks of life, but we come together once a week and I really like the group of guys and really learned a lot from them, which led me to then open up. And now they'll say, I won't shut up. I think I have changed. Um, Recognized there were a lot of areas in my life uh, that could have been easier with Christ involved. And coming to Bible study and, and meeting with these group of guys really opened my heart to, re- to receive that. And I wanted to come. I didn't feel like I had to come. I wanted to come. Beyond the hour you spend Sunday morning in church, it's doing something uh, with others and learning from them, um, growing with them praying with them and crying with them. It's, uh, it's important.
0: One of the greatest needs in our increasingly digitally connected world is this need to be connected relationally. And if you're not experiencing something like what they just talked about, you're missing out. You're missing out on an element uh, that is in your nature that God put there from the very beginning. So when you make a decision, I'm going to, I'm going to be in a circle. I'm going to do it. Here's what a circle does. A circle, uh, it's corrective because we need people who can help us when we fall. We need people who can help us when we're messing up. Somebody that can say, hey man, you need to, you need to work on that. Or, hey, I see you really, really goofing up and I want to help you. And it, it can help correct when you're going down the wrong path it can help correct and bring you back to where you need to be. But it's also preventative. When you make a decision to connect in a circle, it, it's preventative because we all need people who can keep us from falling in the first place. I, I've had a couple times in my life, I've had to pull some people aside and say, hey, you better, you better watch out because I see you making some decisions. And I've had to say that to friends who I was smelling alcohol on their breath at the wrong time of the day. I saw them getting too close to someone of the opposite sex. And I had to help be corrective but also preventative and say, hey, you need to watch out. And they always say, hey, thanks. I I appreciate you doing that. When it comes to community like this, and community like you saw on the screen, if you wait until you need it, you won't have it. You might sit in a row every week and say, I don't need that, I'm fine, my life is good. But when something happens and you need it, you won't have it. It's like life insurance. I mean, you only use that once, right? You should, only use it one time. But if you wait until you need it, and you don't have it, it's too late to get it. And so when it comes to moving from a row to a circle, if you wait until the tragedy strikes and you already haven't invested in and put yourself in a circle where you can be in this preventative and corrective environment spiritually, if you wait until you need it, you won't have it. Because it's not built overnight. It's not something you can just say, this happened in my life today and tomorrow, I need a group to help me deal with it. It doesn't work that way. Those guys took weeks and months that you just saw on the screen to get to where they are. And they've gone through difficulties together. And when they had, when they had a need for relationship and community, they had it. And so today, what I want you to do is to consider taking a step into one of our groups. And when you go out today, you just go go out this door, whatever door you go out, in the lobby on the left of the door before you leave, there's some tables with different groups. And just go by there and sign up. If you've checked on a card the last couple of weeks that you wanted to be in a group and somebody has already contacted you, you don't need to stop by the table. And we've already had hundreds of people say, I want to be in a group. If you haven't done that, do it today. Give it it eight weeks and see what happens. Just watch what happens as you say, I'm finally going to do it. Donnie encouraged me. I'm going to move from just sitting in a row. I'm going to move to a circle. And I'm just going to give it a test run for eight weeks and see what happens. If you want to do that, there's three different types of groups you can get in. Two of them are immediately, the other one is more scheduled. Uh, The three groups are life groups. A life group is just a group of people who meet maybe in your community. It's couples, it might be all singles, it might be all people who are at the same stage of life, it might be somebody that meets on your street, but it connects you in a way you can do life with other people who are part of our church. And if a life group sounds like, yeah, I want to do that, and you want to be in a life group that has kids or doesn't have kids, you can select all of that when you sign up for a group. Another type of group that we have is a study group. That's what you saw on the screen. Those groups are gender-based because the discussion can go in a lot of different areas and sometimes get a little deeper in some areas when it's gender-based and some people will open up and talk more. So maybe that's the group for you. You could be in one of each. A lot of the gender-based groups meet uh, a lot of different times of the day to accommodate everybody's schedule. But I would encourage you to say, to to go out there and say, I want to be in one of those types of groups or both. At study groups is where we open up the Bible and look at the ancient truths of scripture and then make modern application. How do I apply what this ancient text says to my life today? And then there's the third type of group and that's a short term group. And that deals with very specific topics like uh, how to manage your money uh, biblically, uh, how to get out of debt, We've got uh, groups that start about marriage and groups about how to do a lot of, groups about how to understand the Bible, that what, what are some of the foundations of Christianity that I need to know. We've got groups like that, groups how to get past a difficult time in your life. If you're going through something difficult, there's some healing groups that you can get in and recovery groups that can help you walk through that. And those meet anywhere from six weeks up to 10 weeks. And you can find out more about those out there at the table as well. But I encourage you to take a chance and jump in one of those groups. And if you're already in a group and you've been in one for a while, we'd like to ask you to consider facilitating one. You can mark that on your card as well. In the book, *Into the Wild, John Krakauer tells the story of Chris McCandless, who... Decided he was gonna live in the wilderness back in 1992 and he spent 112 days out there, but he died alone. And when they got to the bus where he lived and here's the last picture they have of him and he's out there all alone, they find his body and they find this note that says, SOS, I need your help. I'm injured, near death and too weak to hike out of here. I'm all alone. This is no joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. We're not designed to live life alone. Do it now. If you wait until you need it, you won't have it. So go ahead and get it. So when you need it, you'll have it. And get into a circle. Don't do life alone. Let's pray. God, as we deal with the things that really are heavy in life, I pray that those people who deal with loneliness will take a big step and get in a group. So when they need that kind of relationship and community in their life, they'll have it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.